Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world, both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, being a husband and a girl dad, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris each week wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast hello everybody and welcome into episode 817 of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl and joining me as he does every other week here on the Packaday Podcast is the one and only Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, not a super exciting game to talk about, but we have a ton to get to nonetheless. But before we get to that, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks. You know, not the most exciting from a pure Packers perspective, but it was, uh, you know, a uh, uh, interesting competitive NFC game against two talented teams and, uh, you know, just didn't go Green Bay's favor. But Tampa Bay, I think, is one of the elite teams in the NFL, a top 10 team. And, you know, I think you get games like this that are a little humbling. It's, you know, a shame that it's coming out of the bye week. But, uh, you know, it's OK to get these games out of, out of the way early on, you know, correct your mistakes and, and keep moving. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. Aaron Rodgers called it, quote, a stinker uh, of a game. And uh, I think he kind of agreed with your assessment there. But l- let me just kind of get your your tweet length review here of kind of what went wrong. As you mentioned, they were coming off of a bye week. They're relatively healthy. Not having Kevin King uh, certainly doesn't help. Tyler Irvin didn't help to some extent. It seems like they got a little bit out of their motion. They used Aaron Jones a little bit in that regards, but then that kind of takes him out of the backfield. Uh, but I don't think either of those things were worthy enough excuses to kind of have a game like this. So what was kind of your your overall review of what went wrong in this game? Well, it seems like they didn't really take on the offensive identity they had for the previous four weeks. They were turning the ball over. They weren't successful on first down. They weren't connecting on the deep shots down the field, and they weren't protecting the quarterback between the tackle box. Uh, you know, that's a recipe for a disaster. And you, you don't check any of those boxes. Typically, there's going to be something lopsided on the scoreboard. And you turn the ball over like you did deep in your own end, turning one into a touchdown, one into a rushing touchdown on the goal line the very next play, then two more three and outs right after that. Looking at that stretch in the second quarter, because that team jumped out to a 10 nothing win, or excuse me, a 10 nothing lead with a 10-play drive, an 11-play drive. But then the pick, the pick, three and out, three and out. It's like that leads if, you know, evaporated before you knew it. And it just wasn't the formula of efficient, effective, clean football they had sustained through the first four weeks. Um, but games like this are going to happen. I knew there's going to be some adversity in this game. Tampa Bay was going to try to make them one-dimensional and take away the run, which they did for the most part. Um, and then this team just got a little pass happy and could not keep Aaron Rodgers upright. Yeah, it really got out of hand fast. You talk about that formula for success. Uh, Greg Allman, who you know, covers the Bucks for, I believe it's the Athletic. I could be wrong on that. But uh, he said uh, the Bucks had zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero time sack tonight. 
perfect three for three. That's happened exactly one other time in the NFL since 1972, which Bruce Arians was involved with as well with the 1999 Colts uh, when they won over the Browns back at that time. So uh, that is a very solid recipe for success when you don't turn the ball over, you don't allow a sack and you don't have a penalty. Technically, Ndamukong Sue did have a penalty, but it was offsetting. So in the box score, it goes to zero penalties. So uh, quite, quite the overall performance for Tampa Bay. We can talk about what went wrong and we will talk about what went wrong for Green Bay, but this was also a very impressive performance for the Buccaneers. Yeah, no question. You have to give it credit to, you know, when credit's due. And I feel like they made a lot of big plays. They played clean football. I didn't feel like the Packers necessarily came out and completely fell on their face or, you know, looked like, uh, you know, little sister of the poor junior high team out there. I thought the Bucks just excelled better in certain areas and they made bigger plays when they needed to. And, you know, that's what you get with a really competitive team. Well, let's start with the, the Packers offensive line, because I felt like for me, at least, this is where things kind of started to go uh, awry for the Packers. We saw this offensive line, I, I thought, perform at a very high level through the first four weeks of the season. And that was not evidenced at all in this game. And going in, this is one of the, the really key matchups in this game. Um, there was the one statistic out there that the, the Bucks were the number one in pass rush win rate coming into this game. The Packers had been number one against pass rush win rate. Uh, this was supposed to be one of those great matchups, but it seemed like Tampa Bay really won this matchup early and often. Yeah, absolutely. And those two fast flow linebackers, I know they didn't have Vita Vey out there, but Devin White and Levante David seemed like they were everywhere, especially early on, even, you know, through that first quarter where the Packers jumped out to a 10 nothing lead. I feel like they made a lot of big plays at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage that I want to go back and look at the blocking schemes on tape and to see, did somebody miss the mic or the will, uh, you know, or their assignments? Because I saw way too many free alleys to the ball carrier throughout the game from those two linebackers and, you know, you make the Packers one-dimensional, suddenly it's easy to pin your ears back on third and medium and long. And that really hasn't been the formula of the Packers this year. And you have a balanced play calling and a balanced attack. You get into manageable down and distance. You could run your whole playbook. And, you know, you have the threat of moving pockets and run action. And it's really tough to pin your ears back and attack quarterbacks. But, you know, you get into those third and mediums and longs too often like the Packers did. I just feel like that formula isn't sustainable for four quarters. No, and it wasn't. And I mean, that was the crazy thing for just how quickly this game got out of hand. You go from up 10 to nothing. A couple of those plays happen. Like you mentioned, the three and outs, all of a sudden it's, you know, what, 28 to 10 by the end of the first half. And uh, Green Bay was completely out of their rhythm on offense. They were pass, 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 basically the rest of the way. They tried to work a few runs in here and there, but uh, it didn't really matter. Sanford, or excuse me, uh, Tampa Bay knew that they could kind of pin their ears back as you were mentioning. I want to ask though, just going back to this, this overall offensive execution, did you feel like this was more play calling? Did you feel like this was just inconsistent offense? Did you feel like, I know your favorite saying, you know, X's and O's or Jimmy's and Jimmy and Joe's. Did you feel like Green Bay just didn't have the players to match up with Tampa's defense? What, what was the overall issue uh, for the Packers offense in this game? You know, it's a really good question. And full disclosure, you know, I haven't watched the tape yet to really dig into some of the play designs and play intent. And when I go back to that first quarter, Aaron Rodgers made a lot of second reaction throws. In fact, those first two drives, he had three first downs where his initial read wasn't there. He escaped the pocket subtly, kept his eyes up. And then a couple plays later, he tried to scramble for the touchdown, got down at the one, yada, yada, yada. That formula really isn't sustainable. And that's not the 2020 Green Bay Packers. 
He had been playing comfortably from the pocket first and foremost, going through his progressions with timing and rhythm from the pocket and hadn't had to leave the pocket uh, on his own fruition a whole lot in 2020. I know they moved the ball well in the first quarter, but that's a really tough formula to sustain for four quarters, you know, with Aaron Rodgers in 2020. So while they were successful in the first quarter, there were still some things wrong with that success. So I'm really interested to find on the tape what was taken away by Tampa Bay. What did the Packers try to initially, you know, design on the plays? What were the initial reads? Why did Rodgers have to eat it, come off of it? Even when the eventual result was successful, it really wasn't successful. And even though it was a 10-play drive touchdown, 11-play drive touchdown, things went wrong in there. And I'm really interested to look on the tape to see, did Tampa Bay take something away? Or was it, like you're saying, those Jimmys and Joes losing or the X's and O's? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because Aaron Rodgers basically said the exact same thing in his press conference. He said even though they scored on the first two drives, they weren't in rhythm, and it was a lot of, um, you know, off, uh, you know, just him having to kind of escape or make second reaction plays. So uh, he made, which is nice to see, and he did it well. But when you just think about that formula to be sustained through four quarters, it just isn't, you know, the the recipe the Packers had been winning with up to this point, and really isn't the recipe they want to be cooking with for four quarters of a game. I agree. And going back even into, you know, Rogers MVP seasons, you would see games in the Falcons and what the divisional round game is always a huge uh, one that you look at as one of the ones where he was, you know, uh, off script the entire game and everything went amazing. But I've always been a huge proponent of if you see him scrambling around early in games and even if he's picking up first downs or getting touchdowns, that is a tell for me that Mm -hmm. things aren't going according to plan. And that could be a difficult day on offense. And, you know, defensive coordinators are going to say, you know what, if he, you know, runs for 150 yards and three touchdowns and they beat us tip of the cap, you know, (laughs) but if we're not going to let him sit in the pocket and pick us apart and and let him get into a rhythm, Uh, we went into this game really talking about how green Bay's defense needed to make sure that, you know, Brady was not able to stay on his spot and, you know, was not comfortable and getting in a rhythm. The Tampa Bay basically flipped that around and said, you know what, we're going to allow, you know, we're going to do the, try to do the same thing to Aaron Rodgers. Now let him sit there. We're not going to let him get his initial read. We're going to make him get those second and third plays. And if he scrambles and gets some plays, so be it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not like they were absolute offensive juggernaut. I feel like they took advantage of the short fields, got touchdowns. I mean, Tom Brady threw for 166 yards. I went back and looked at the box score. I felt like Gronk was around 150 yards after watching it on TV. He had five for 78 in the touchdown. It seems like they were killing us over the middle of the field to some of those play actions to Gronk. And, you know, just looking at the numbers here, 35 rushes for 158 with a long of 25. They didn't necessarily gash the Packers over the top or, you know, have a lot of uh, coverage busts or anything like that. It was that same defensive formula. But once again, not getting pressure on the quarterback, you know, not getting them off the field like you needed to and you had been through those first four weeks, getting put in bad situations by the offense and special teams, all a bunch of things that we hadn't seen yet through four weeks. So, you know, but you got to tip the cap to Tom Brady. And I just love the way he plays quarterback. Did that guy break the confines of the tackle box the entire game? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I think that's just beautiful, beautiful quarterback play. When you get older, you don't leave the pocket. You beat defenses with your mind. You've seen it all. And you assess the defense, you know, every defense have vulnerabilities and pick apart defenses with your arm from the pocket. And I just want to see Aaron Rodgers play a little bit more from the pocket, going through his progressions with timing and rhythm like he had for those first four weeks. 
And, you know, I just I just don't know if we saw that today for a number of reasons. And I want to look on the tape, whether guys were losing up front, you know, blitz pickups, guys weren't getting open. Several reasons can be, you know, why the quarterback was holding the ball in the pocket. Yeah, at initial at initial glance. And I don't I'm not, I'm, you know, hesitant to even put this out in the ether without watching the tape in more detail. But it did look like, you know, maybe some of the receivers weren't running, you know, winning some of those initial routes. And it seemed like the pressure was legitimate. I think Matt LaFleur in his press conference, uh, Aaron Nagler asked him about that, you know, was was Aaron maybe, you know, after the first couple picks, maybe thrown off a little bit, seeing ghosts, you know, coming off his first read. And LaFleur basically mentioned, you know what, that pressure up front was real. And yeah. sometimes <laughs> those bullets are flying and, and it's tough to kind of do some of that stuff. So, and that was one of the stylistic changes we had seen from 2020 Aaron Rodgers, which for, you know, for the sake of a better part of 10 years, he was so great at playing off of the rush, but it became a detriment because his eyes were dropping too fast in his drops and progressions. In 2020, his eyes were staying up. He was trusting his progressions. He looked so much more comfortable. And today, you know, all of a sudden there's a leak in protection. That pocket closed a little faster in the second quarter. Then the whole second half, your eyes are dropping prematurely way too often. But that happens, you know, when, you know, running backs aren't getting to the right spot or there's confusion up front or a bust or that, you know, tackle box or that tackle pocket uh, is just kind of closing in on you. Your eyes are going to drop pretty quick. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Aaron Rodgers. So he started the season, including the first quarter when the Packers were up 10 to nothing, 104 out of 149, uh, 1,296 yards, 13 touchdowns and no picks. And then in the last three quarters of today's game, he ended up 10 of 25 for 78 yards, zero touchdowns and two interceptions. We've talked a little bit about this already. Wasn't in rhythm, maybe missing a couple spots. The Mercedes Lewis uh, play over the middle where he just missed it. He uh, he alluded to the wind being a little bit uh, of, a, of an issue on both the interception as well as the play to Lewis. Uh, but this was a, a totally different Aaron Rodgers through the, the last three quarters of this game than we saw over the first 17 quarters to start the season. Yeah, absolutely. There obviously wasn't that rhythm and flow in the offense, and they, they hit the panic button just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, those, those, that kind of tumultuous second quarter there, like we had talked about, really kind of, I think, set their offense you know, out, of, out of kilter with how they wanted to call the game and the initial game plan, and then they were just kind of in survival mode and trying to figure out anything that will work and to sustain any sort of drive and try to move the ball down the field. It just didn't look like the – the team we had seen through the first four weeks. And that happens, you know, games like this happen. You come out flat sometimes after a bye week against a competitive team on the road, but I'm just happy this happens in week six rather than the NFC championship game. So, you know, uh, hopefully cleaning it up and moving forward. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. 
hundred percent. Before we move over to the defense, uh, I'm hoping you have something. I don't have much. Was there anything positive that you took away from this game for the offense? You know, a couple of the notes early on, you know, those second reaction throws, the Bucks really hadn't allowed many explosive runs throughout, you know, the season, very dominant run defense. It was happy to see Jamal Williams with a 25-year run, A.J. Dillon breaking off a 20-yard run late. So it's nice to see those explosive runs against the dominant Bucks defense. You know, the three and out from the defense early was great. I love the jet wheel concept, Aaron Jones, that unfortunately was – uh, incomplete after review. So there's a couple of conceptual things I had seen, uh, but definitely more interested to, to fire up the tape and to see where things went wrong, obviously, in a game uh, that went as it did. Yeah, that Jamal Williams one was uh, one of the ones on my list as well. Just again, I went back to the, you know, when I was covering uh, the practices in, in training camp and I had mentioned that he just looked more explosive this year. I don't think that's a play that he necessarily get. And it was well blocked. So don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily a play that he gets, you know, 20 plus yards on in the past. I think, you know, he just looks a little bit more explosive, more fit. Uh, we saw him, you know, a couple weeks ago being able to get the, you know, the cover two beater along the sideline. He's just been much more dynamic this season. I think that's a positive takeaway. And even though it wasn't much, uh, Darius Shepard had the nice reception as well, where he was able to do a little bit of something after the catch, which uh, you like to see anytime somebody can make a, a little bit of noise after the catch. So uh, those were a couple, at least the the nicer things that stood out in this game for me, even though there wasn't a ton. Yeah, it was nice to see uh, St. Brown back out there. I think he only got two targets and they were both misfired on little uh, receiver hots, I believe, to the left-hand side. But yeah. just nice to see number 19 back out there in green and gold. All right, let's talk a little bit more about this defense. We talked about already, they weren't really able to make the big play in this game. No sacks, no turnovers. We're five games through now. And I should start by saying, I thought this game was much more on the Packers offense than the Packers defense. Um, they get those, you know, a couple three and outs and, and force Tampa Bay to punt on the first couple drives. Green Bay goes up 10, nothing, and they get the ball back again. Green Bay's up 10, nothing in the second quarter with about 10 minutes left with the ball. Their defense hadn't allowed anything at that point. And then basically the two pick sixes, the one was, you know, down to the four yard line. Um, and then, uh, you know, Green Bay struggles to, you know, to, to stop them the rest of the half. But I, there's still questions for me, uh, you know, for this Packers defense, not being able to get the sacks. They, in one red zone trip, they go basically eight man coverage, three man rush, don't get any pressure. Brady picks it apart. The next time they bring the house and leave Amos one-on-one -on -one with Gronk, Gronk gets the cut, catch in the back of the end zone. I remember back to, what was it, 2018 with Mike McCarthy, where Mike Patton didn't have anything on defense, and he seemed to make uh, make something out of nothing at times. He seemed to have different answers and exotic blitz here and there that would completely catch quarterbacks off guard. I just don't feel like we've seen much of that, and I, I don't know what to make of it uh, You know, now through five games, even though, again, I wouldn't necessarily pin this loss on the Packers' defense as much as I would on the Packers' offense. Well, it just doesn't seem like that defense is as attacking and as proactive and disrupting opposing offenses as they had been in that 2018 debut of Mike Pettin on the Packers defense, where you really saw an extension of that Ravens and Jets type of defensive scheme with a lot of overload pressures and really, you know, uh, threw young quarterbacks for a loop with the moving parts and scheming up free hitters. And we really haven't seen that, but I feel like blitzing is more of a a result off a need and the production they got last year and guys winning one-on-one, -on -one, whether it was a Darius or Kenny Clark, I feel like 
Mike Pettin saw that and said, you know what, I could dial the, the blitzing back a little bit because guys are winning the one-on-one matchups. And through six weeks of 2020, that's starting to dry up. I know Zadarius came on strong in, in the Falcons game, and I saw him in the backfield a couple times today, but just not consistent enough. And I wonder if Pettin can maybe dial up the versatility in his pressure scheme, not necessarily the volume of it, but maybe that occasional exotic pressure scheme or maybe dictating the action on first down. I hate when teams just wait for third down to blitz. I love attacking on first down as well. So maybe just mixing up his tendencies down the stretch. The Packers, I think, are a bottom five team in blitzing and stunts and twists. So he's really done very little to help out his pass rush. But in his defense, he hasn't need to. Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark played like elite one-on-one pass rushers last year. So now that that isn't yielding the results, now we need to change things up and and try to help out this front. But yeah, there's some issues on defense. Um, There's no question about that, but it's great to see Kenny Clark back and healthy. The linebacking core is obviously a bit of rotation right now with Christian Kirksey out, but I thought Chris Barnes looked good out there and it was great to see Josh Jackson at corner. I think there's some positives on defense. So let's go back to that pressure because I feel like that is the biggest difference between last year and this year and Green Bay just not getting home quite as much. Now, Zadarius was on uh, just a freakish pace a season ago, and I I don't think it's necessarily totally fair to say that, you know, he has to repeat that performance from a season ago. But, uh, you know, he he had a couple flash plays in the backfield, but Preston Smith has not been anywhere near, in my opinion, uh, where he was at a season ago. I'm not sure if there's anything that you've caught on tape with Preston Smith. I don't necessarily expect Kenny Clark to come back back from injury and look like a, you know, superstar in his first game back either. But that pressure, like you mentioned where, you know, with four guys, whether it be, it was really, it could have been Preston, Zedarius, Kenny Clark, and anybody in that fourth spot. And it didn't matter because Preston and and Clark and Zedarius were so good a season ago, but even with guys like Rashawn Gary or, you know, uh, Kingsley Kiki who have shown flashes of being able to get into the backfield, it doesn't seem to matter which four are in there. They're not generating the same type of pressure as they did a season ago. Yeah, absolutely. It just feels like the defense is playing a little bit of Velcro ball right now where guys are just latched on to offensive players. They're not playing fast. They aren't playing freely. You're not seeing a lot of, you know, free moving parts like those blitzers and free hitters and post snap movement and confusion. It just seems like a very vanilla defense right now from the Packers up front. And Preston Smith has gone through stretches like this before at the Washington football team. He was a good edge rusher. He would go through little spells of being unproductive as well. He's not this twitchy, explosive edge rusher that you're expecting to fall into 10, 12, 15 sacks on a year-to-year basis. He's an every-down player because he's a heavy edge. He plays the run particularly well. I know we're a little contentious right now about how many times he's dropping into coverage, (laughs) and I'm sure Mike Pettin is looking at that and, and trying to keep him up on the defensive line a little bit more down the stretch of 2020. Uh, that's obviously not where you want your 265, 270-pound outside linebacker, uh, you know, spending the majority of his time. But that's the way his scheme kind of alludes to. And I just feel like there's still too many two-way players. Like, you know, Dean Lowry doesn't have a, you know, he's a run plugger. And Kiki right now isn't showing enough of consistent production as an interior pass rusher. And Lancaster is just a run plugger. Montrevis Adams, I don't really know what he does particularly well. And then you want to go and be fast on third down. And it's Smith, Smith, Gary, and Clark. I just don't feel like they're deep enough 
with guys that are affecting the game and impacting the line of scrimmage, whether they're, they're explosive, stout, whatever they are. I like Lowry. I like Kiki. I like Lane Castle. I like Montrevis Adams, but they're not impacting the game enough. So those are the kind of group of guys that I'm looking at to either step up their play or kind of step out, you know, uh, for years down the road with this Packers defense, if we're looking to improve the personnel. And that really lends itself into kind of the next topic I wanted to discuss, because I feel like the, the biggest takeaway for me in this game was the differences in speed between the two defenses. And we already noted the, you know, Levante David and Devin White and how fast they can play at linebacker. But you know, if you look at, you know, just the 40 times, obviously Devin White's a freak, but uh, Ty Summers is a very fast athlete in the middle of the defense. And, you know, I don't think Levante David, even though he, he plays insanely fast, I think he was more of like a four, four, five guy, which is, isn't slow, but you know, whatever. Um, and it just seems to me though, that this Tampa Bay defense was much better from a game speed standpoint. Maybe it wasn't always the fastest tape speed, but these guys were flying to the football. They were aggressive. Jason Pierre, Paul, Shaq Barrett were getting into the backfield and Dominican Sue was throwing players around that maybe is a little bit more power than speed, but they were getting into the backfield quickly. The linebackers were flying to the football. The corners were tight. And again, rallying to the football, Antoine Winfield, you saw some of that. Uh, it just seemed to me that this was a tale of two different defenses. One of which was playing very fast and very aggressive. And the other, as you kind of mentioned, earlier, maybe a little bit more vanilla, maybe a little bit slower paced. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or an overbearing parent screaming words of wisdom from the stands, fewer than 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Whether it be 30 years of Hall of Fame QB play in Green Bay or 30 years of quarterback torture in Chicago, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for watching football. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, you know, the, the Bucks front seven, stouted up front, and those fast flow, explosive linebackers, they get from point A to point B in an absolute flash. And they're okay with making full speed mistakes. And they can plug things downhill. They can make plays sideline to sideline and out in the alley. They're explosive linebackers that I love how much they attack on early downs and they dictate the action. I just feel like the Packers defense through the majority of four quarters and the majority of six weeks of 2020 have kind of been a little passive and haven't been dictating the action. And I think there was one particular run blitz they talked about on the, on the broadcast by the Bucks defense. You just saw everybody flying downhill into gaps, dictating the action before Aaron Rodgers even decided if it was going to be run or pass. And I just love to see that attacking defense. And I mean, Antoine Winfield, you know, Jermaine Whitehead, the safeties were flying around. Yeah. I feel like every hit, every collision was violent. They were looking to bend ball carriers back and not let them finish forward. That defense flies around with an attitude of physicality, their tone setting, even without Vita Vea. I mean, Indominus Sue is an absolute freak show. And I know he's a little, you know, salty towards Packer fans with all the history in Detroit and all the personal fouls. He hasn't missed a game in like eight or 10 years. He is an absolute marvel of athleticism. He is a freak show, size, strength, speed. 
really, really impressive player, what he's doing. I think sometimes you really have to take a step back and Indomitian Sue, what he was at Nebraska and what he's turned into the NFL. What a dominant, dominant player. And then the big corners on the outside, we saw what Carlton Davis can do. It's a really fun defense, but I think it starts and ends with those linebackers. And you know me, you've been following me on Twitter long enough. We've never had a piece like that in the center of the Packers defense. No. You know, Devin White, a Levante David presence in the nucleus of the defense that literally affects everything around it. The safeties behind you, the big guys in front, the perimeter plays of the alley, the having that type of playmaker and explosive speed at the linebacker position. It was really fun to watch. And, you know, I know it's, it's you know, it's tough to you know not root against the Packers, but to watch Devin White go from A to B in a hurry and finish <laughs> the ball carry with attitude and aggression kind of makes you jump out of your seat. Like even if it is against the Packers. Oh, a million percent. Him and Levante David are so fun to watch. Levante David's been one of my favorite football players over the last whatever. There's a play late where he he rattled Jamal Williams and kind of pulled his jersey down a little bit. And I don't know what Jamal has to say about that after the play. I don't know if he's just <laughs> giving him props or he, he just looked like he ruined his day on that. And Jamal Williams is a big boy. He's a guy that normally will fall forward for an extra yard or two. Just like Tampa Bay was had their intensity dialed up a couple extra notches in the Packers offense did. They really did. Carlton Davis is another player that really, as you mentioned, he was just very impressive. And for such a young player, especially a player who missed a lot of practice this week, yeah. you don't see many players man up on Devontae Adams like Carlton Davis was able to man up. And on. I got to give him credit. He's turned into be a great pro. I think he's in his third year right now. Was awful as a rookie. I hated him at Auburn. And he had a great sophomore, sophomore campaign last year. He's playing really well this year. He's a fast player. He's big corner. But at Auburn, man, he was all over the place. I thought he came out way too early, gave up way too many big plays. Uh, but I'm really impressed with what he's turned into uh, as an NFL cornerback for the Bucks. A million percent. I, I want to ask you, though. So Tampa Bay has invested heavily at that linebacker position. The Green Bay Packers have not. That seems to be uh, sort of a internal philosophy of theirs where they don't feel like they need to spend high picks on inside linebackers. Now, to be fair, I think you and I both feel like, you know, Chris Barnes had a nice game today. I, I'm excited to see what Kamal Martin can do. I thought he looked fantastic in camp and was primed to be uh, I likely the, the top performing rookie out of this class this season had he not gotten hurt. We'll see what happens when he's activated. And maybe they do end up with two really nice linebackers in, in later round picks. But is this a philosophy that you feel like needs to change because of the way, just how important it is to have speed at the linebacker position? Evidence 1A by what we saw by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today. Yeah, you know, I've been an advocate of that quarterback of the defense or three down linebacker needs to be a playmaker. And I think the era of A.J. Hawk into Blake Martinez and everything in between just left the Packers, you know, a little bit to be desired as far as making impact plays from the linebacker position. Blake Martinez, as reliable and consistent as there is. A.J. Hawk, as reliable and consistent as there is. But were they making enough impact plays of the middle of the field? Were they making those plays like we've seen from, you know, the Luke Keekleys of the NFL and guys like young Devin Whites of the world, or even the way, you know, some guys like Leighton Vander Esch or yeah. uh, uh, what's the kid out in uh, Indianapolis, uh, Darius Leonard, you know, the way he's kind of come onto the scene, Fred just the Warner. size, the speed of these guys, the playmaking ability instantly, you know, it just, it just kind of leaves you, you know, a little bit envious of uh, having those guys in the middle. And I feel like it, it just has such a ripple effect to every other aspect of the defense that that nucleus position touches. 
I just try to imagine like, what would it be like to have a four, four linebacker, uh, you know, a Tremaine Edmonds type of player out of Virginia tech, you know, to come in the middle of the Packers defense. And remember not that uh, anyone's regretting the Jair Alexander pick, but they've had the opportunity to draft some of these players like Leighton Van Der Esch and uh, Edmonds from Buffalo. Uh, they, they've had some of these opportunities to draft inside linebackers, haven't necessarily taken advantage of it. And again, that seems to be a philosophical uh, choice. And to some extent, I get wanting to spend the premium picks on corners and defensive linemen and offensive tackles, and maybe backup quarterbacks. And who do we want to Super Bowl with? Desmond Bishop and DJ Smith out there? Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. And for some reason, you're like, all right, Super Bowl champs, let's go with Sam Barrington and somebody out there. And just so you just said, interesting cast of characters, Nate Palmer, you know, that experiment. And just seemed like a position that was never high on the priority list of the front office, whether through draft capital, whether through free agency, just not a high priority position to the organization. No, certainly hasn't been. We'll see if that kind of changes over time, if that's something that continues. One more thought on the defense before we jump over into a couple other quick things. Were you surprised at how often Green Bay tried to use some of the outside running game, some of those toss plays early in the game with the knowing that they have the speed on defense with Devin White and Levante David? I mean, they have a, a dominant front seven. If I'm, you know, drawing a trapezoid of the the Bucks front seven in their box, the interior, yeah, I'm probably trying to get to the alley. Because I'm not, I don't want to run between the tackles against these guys, even without Vita Vea. You know, Raheem Nunez Roches has played enough football in this league at nose tackle. You have William Ghost and Sue in there. They were pinching their front down a lot as well to kind of prevent some of those guards from pulling. I, I feel like they kind of uh, forced the Packers' hand to try some of those perimeter runs out into the alley and try to, you know, not attack them down the middle. If I'm just thinking about the Bucks' defense – I don't want to go up the middle on these guys. I know they hit the one nice run off the jet motion, Jamal Williams right up the gut, but those are pretty few and far between against the, uh, the Bucks defense. I think they needed to lean more on that misdirection style of running game that I just don't think they, they had enough versatility and diversity and calling today. And when you're not clicking on first down, suddenly the pressure's on, on second and 10. And then all of a sudden you're in third and mediums and long. And that's just not the way you want to, you know, sustain offensive drives uh, for four quarters. It really isn't. And I, I think it's, it's worth bringing up and, and you bring up a great point that th- this Tampa Bay team, whether you're going outside, inside jet sweep, it, it doesn't matter. They're just very stout against the run. Number one in the, in the league coming into this game at run defense. So I thought sure. they would try more some of the perimeter action with the receivers. Yeah, really try to differentiate, you know, the the box group and then the perimeter action. I saw early on they tried to play the numbers game out there uh, to see if they, you know, maybe had even numbers or a three over two situation while the Bucks loaded up to stop the run between the tackles. They just didn't go back to that in the second and third quarters. Uh, but I thought that would be a primary part of the game plan. One of those kind of extensions of the run game, those quick passes out to the perimeter and maybe get some yards after catch. Was that another play? I forget who it was. It might've been Carlton Davis again, but uh, who they had the three on one on the outside and he just knifed through. And kind I of believe so. It. Yeah. Somebody, I think it was Tunyon missed his block out there. Um, but I think they had good numbers and I, I saw that on one of the opening drives and was like, Oh, Good scheme right there. Let's get it out to the perimeter quick. I'd rather try to attack the young secondary, the young corners, especially when you sneak a guy like Tanyan out on the perimeter to maybe go block a corner. I feel like the formula was there. They just didn't go back to it later in the game. 
No, I, I think that's hundred percent the case. Let's quickly talk about some injuries. There were four players that there were a lot of players that got hurt, but four players that at least that I noted got hurt and did not return. Perry Nickerson corner got hurt early in the game. I, I I'll be totally transparent. I wasn't keeping track of Perry Nickerson returned on special teams or not, but at one point he went out and I'm not sure if he returned. Of course, David, corner out of Tulane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, he's uh, this was his first game active, and I'm assuming full disclosure, I haven't been really paying attention to the waiver wire lately. No, yo, he actually got (laughs) signed before week one and has been inactive every game this year. And I really liked him, he was super long, and he ran some some wicked speed, like a low four three. You look at his. Spider the Jets or something. It's all speed and no agility. No, right. <laughs> remember correctly, but uh, then obviously the more important one, uh, David Bakhtiari, who went out. Uh, Matt Lafleur did mention post game that he thinks he's hopeful that it was not serious. So uh, he, they, he did mention that he was still undergoing some tests or you know being looked at still, but it sounded hopeful that it wasn't a serious injury. So that's good news. Two other players that left the game, Tyler Lancaster and Darnell Savage. Lancaster was ruled out. I actually went back to see if Savage ever came back in. It was garbage time at that point, so you don't know if they you know, just kind of were being cautious, but he did not go back in the game either. So uh, Nickerson, Bakhtiari, Lancaster, and Savage with Bakhtiari obviously being kind of the, the key one there. Hey, I have a question for you, Andy. Yeah. Do you think this team collectively has a draft and develop issue? Um. In, in, I'm, I'm on a clarification here. So are you talking about that they do it too much or that they're not good at it? That they're not good at it and not getting enough returns out of their hometown draft capital and our hometown draft picks. And, you know, I started to highlight guys that I feel disappointed with on the roster. Yeah. And when so- I, every time I do that, it seems to be, uh, you know, mid-round draft pick up, early draft pick up, mid-round draft pick just seems like they're not getting that return and the guys that they are getting the returns on is like, Oh, Zedarius, a free agent, you know, nice pick Adrian Amos, a free agent, you know, nice pickup. I just feel like there's a little few and far between with the ability to draft and develop. And I know we can point to, you know, Devante and Bakhtiari and Elton and Aaron Jones and Rogers, and there's plenty of, you know, good case studies to point to, but just collectively, you know, do you think there's a, a general issue uh, with getting talent and development out of their draft picks. Well, I think that, and that's why I kind of want a clarification because I do think that they've had to supplement uh, some of that by going out in free agency, especially with Zedarius and Preston and Amos and those guys. And I think Brian Gutekunst has done a good job with that Avenue, but I think it's, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that when Ted Thompson ended his era that he was not on a great streak of, of, of drafting players. Although within those last couple of drafts, he did have, you know, Kenny Clark and Aaron Jones and a couple of players like that, Kevin King. But if you look at uh, my bigger point here is I want to go, I want to see what happens this year and next year with Brian Gutekind's draft picks, because you're looking at his first draft is in their third year now. So this is really the year that you want to start seeing some real development. We know what Jair is. And I think he's taken even a step this year to be a, a step better than he had been the last couple of years. But then you start looking after that Josh Jackson. I thought, even though it was nice to see him in there, he made a couple big plays against the run, good tackling today, another big pass interference call. And then he had another penalty later in the game. I went back and I watched him uh, in that, that second half against Atlanta. When he got in, I thought he was grabby again. It just doesn't seem to always have the, the wherewithal that you want from your outside cornerback. Oren Burks is not developed. Jamon Moore is not in the NFL. Cole Madison's not in the NFL. You get a nice punter in J.K. Scott. 
MVS, we've seen flashes, but he's a fifth round wide receiver who's up and down EQ to be determined. Looney's out of the league. You got a great long snapper, I guess, and Hunter Bradley and Kendall Donerson's out of the league. All right. So you get Jair and a bunch of question marks in, in year one. Now we're in year two of his next class, which generally I really liked. And you get Elton Jenkins, first of all, which is a huge pick, I think, for them. But Rashawn Gary, what, what is he going to bring this year and next year? Because I think that's a pick that has to pay off. Darnell Savage, I'm not sure if this is one that you were leaning towards disappointment in. I'm up and down on Savage. I like what he's overall brought to the team, but I want to start seeing those plays now. I want to see some picks. I want to see some passes defended. I want to see a bit more. Jay Sternberger, I think we thought that this was going to be maybe a breakout year for him. It has not been so far. Kingsley Kiki up and down. Kadar Hallman's been okay when he's been in. Ty Summers, we don't know yet. And then, of course, you have a completely unproven draft class because they spent their first round pick on a quarterback and second round pick on a running back who's third on the depth chart to Guara's out for the year. Kamal Martin hasn't played yet. And then it's a bunch of sixth and seventh round picks. So I do think to your point that if you look at the overall return on investment from the first three drafts of Brian, of the Brian Gutekunst era so far, I don't think it's, it's overall paid off, but yeah, but um, I do think there's time yet where if players like, you know, AJ Dillon, Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, Sternberger, Kiki, Jair Alexander. There's still time for a lot of these players to pay off. You still have a few lottery tickets out there, but this, this team right now is winning because of previous Ted Thompson picks and because of free agent signings. If you look at the top players on this team, it's Aaron Rodgers, it's David Bakhtiari, it's Kenny Clark, it's, uh, you know, Aaron Jones, it's, it, and so on and so forth. This, this team is mostly made up of the, the, you know, Zedarius Smith and Ted Thompson picks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think everything you just said is very well-spoken and I think very, uh, it's literally exactly what I was thinking, just formulated much, much better and said much better. Just looking at the, you know, just the game book of yesterday's game. It's like not enough out of Rashawn Gary, not enough out of Sternberger, you know, Oren Burks, not enough out of him. Kiki, not enough out of him. And just like, you know, I still know if they're making enough impact picks with their draft picks over those last three years or enough splash players in free agency that I think the scheme and the offense will go so far, but you got to have a good balance of, effective scheme play calling design and then good players and I just wonder if the good players aspect will will dry up on the Packers you know later this season into the playoffs whatever it is um, that I don't know if they're built balanced enough to have an excellent scheme when they need to and then at the end of the day guys just to win for themselves and to make plays for themselves and I think it's gonna be really interesting the kind of balance of you know LaFleur and Petten versus guys just making plays out there. And I just think some of these guys haven't made enough plays for themselves. Well, I, I talked about this a little bit this week on the, on the YouTube show of, you know, I was kind of going over which of the, the Packers upcoming 2021 free agents are most important. And I'm a full believer that it is premium talent that wins you Super Bowls. It, you know, everyone has good players. Everyone has average players. Everyone has guys that they can scheme and be successful with. Kind of going back to your point of Tyler Lancaster's and Dean Lowry's, like you can find guys like that that can do something well. And I do think that Matt LaFleur does overall a tremendous job in, in playing to players' strengths and finding things that they can do well and fitting it within his offense and his in, and in Mike Patton's defense. But at some point, it is your premium players that have to play at a high level. 
And to your point, we're now three drafts in the Brian Gutekunst era. And the only premium player that I would say that we can say for sure, or, you know, pretty much for sure on that list is Jair Alexander. And I think Elton Jenkins is, uh, you know, on the right path to being one of the, the, you know, really good guards in this league. I'm not sure how much of a premium player a guard can be at times. Uh, you know, maybe a Quentin Nelson uh, has something to say about that. And I certainly wouldn't pick a fight with Quentin Nelson over it, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't pick a fight with Darnell Savage over or Ellen Jenkins over it either. But uh, yeah, I think you can make an argument that the only premier player that he's brought in so far, and again, plenty of time, plenty of lottery tickets that could still pay off. But right now it's Jair Alexander. Yeah, you know, maybe I just get a little envious or jealous of the way, you know, Andy Reid builds his offensive weapons or Kyle Shanahan seems to always add, you know, an explosive receiver to his receiving core. And I like that the Chiefs, you know, don't sit around, even though they had Patrick Mahomes. It's like, you know what? We're going and getting McCole Hardman. We're going to trade for Sammy Watkins. We're going to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Not having that franchise quarterback isn't enough. You got to surround him, surround him, surround him, and we're going to be a track team. And I think as you get some more of those players in the floor scheme, I think it's going to take on more of a presence of a chief style of offense. I just don't think we have the, the bodies right now to really fully operate it and fully threaten opposing defenses. And, and you know, I, I mentioned that I thought premium players can win Super Bowls. I think the other thing that you have to have in general is something that's great. You know, you talk about, you know, the, the really good teams from a season ago, the chiefs have a video game offense. I mean, just a literal video game offense that feels like it can score 50 points at any time. The Ravens had a power running game that was ridiculously hard to stop in, in great part because Lamar Jackson adds such a ridiculous wrinkle onto that. Um, the San Francisco 49ers, you know, ran the ball and had uh, such a unique offense and then paired it with a pretty damn good defensive line as well. Like you have to have something, even you go back to last year with the Packers, that front four, as we talked about, out, that was something that you could kind of, uh, you know, earmark for the Packers that was going to be really good every single week. It, it got very hard to stop Zedaria Smith, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith in, in that front seven last year at times. So uh, you have to have something that's great. I'm not sure even in, in a really um, explosive 4-0 start other than Rodgers playing great in LaFleur, uh, you know, scheming up a lot of great stuff. I'm not sure that there's a position group or a part of this team that I can say, you know what, that is something that teams just aren't going to be able to defend or aren't going to be able to figure out. Yeah, I think that's really fair. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap up with a couple quick thoughts here. Overall, did today's game change your outlook on the season for the Packers at all? No, you know, and I don't really ride the wave, you know, like a lot of fans do. When we're too high, I kind of pull us down. When we're too low, I pull you back up. I kind of stay nice and even keel in there. And I like just kind of staying nice and level and the sky's not falling. I don't want to be too emotional or dramatic. We control our destiny. You got to take a look at the tape. What did we do wrong? It's not a them thing. It's an us thing. So we have to correct our mistakes. We need to play better. We need to make more plays. We need to not turn the ball over. All that self-inflicted stuff is a, is a we thing. And anytime that, you know it's that type of philosophy and that type of thinking, I, I trust the we. And I know that was kind of a weird formulation there with all the we stuff, but <laughs> it's more of a way to just kind of internalize and contextualize what the problem is. And I think it's an us thing and we can handle that. Uh, so I'm not worried. I'm not hitting the panic button. You know, we're just going to get this corrected. I like seeing the adversity earlier in the season to try to get it corrected and improve. Uh, and I still trust this team and the coaching staff. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I tweeted out something similar. I, I felt like last year, even though they were 13 and three, just seeing some of the stuff, um, I never was a, a full believer that they were a, a true Super Bowl contender, which I don't know, again, maybe isn't fair when they make it to an NFC championship game, but there were just always things where I thought there were legitimate deficiencies that were going to, you know, uh, cause them to stumble at some point in time. This year, I, I feel the total opposite. I feel like they can compete with anyone on any, any given Sunday. Do they need to clean some things up? Yes, but I've seen this defensive front be much better with Zedarius and Kenny and, and Preston. And I have uh, I have a feeling that at some point this season, they're going to be more disruptive than they are right now. I've seen this corner group you know, get better over time with Kevin King and Jair Alexander. I've seen what this offense can do for the first four weeks of the season. And I thought really you can't say it was like a victim of circumstance because they were the ones that were making themselves the victims, but you know, you go up 10, nothing, they were in complete, complete control of that game to some extent. It's this, it's the second quarter, 12 minutes left up 10, nothing, you have the ball. And then all of a sudden it's a completely uncharacteristic pick six. It's a completely uncharacteristic, uh, another interception that gets tipped off of a bounce play. And then all of a sudden you just get off kilter a little bit. They score two touchdowns. It's all of a sudden it's 28 to 10. And now you're just in pass mode the rest of the game and you're completely out of any offense. You're on the road. It's your first real adversity of the season. To me, this is not indicative of what this Green Bay team is. And it's more of, you know, you, you can't shoot yourself in the foot. And I think if they can escape some of those mistakes, which really they have, for the last, you know, really since the Matt LaFleur era, this is not a team that generally shoots itself in the foot. I think if they can avoid that, again, they, they can compete with anyone on any Sunday. Yeah, I think that's really fair, Andy. All right. So a couple last quick thoughts. Uh, look ahead to Houston. Uh, two very different games. So uh, let me ask you as, as head coach Ben Fennel, would you rather be coming off a Packers blow loss uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or would you rather be the Texans and come out of a rip your heart out loss in overtime to the Tennessee Titans? <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty brutal loss. Uh, I think I would rather the, the non-emotional, we got our butts kicked, we know it. Uh, rather than the, the huge letdown late, especially the way the Texan season has gone. Uh, <laughs> just seems like they can't catch a break. No, I agree. And I do think that there's always going to be some, you know, a little bit of a hangover when you have an emotional game like that, especially when you play a few extra snaps, having to go into overtime. And I feel like when you play a fourth quarter like that, you exert a lot of energy and effort when you're trying to make a comeback and then you're playing in OT, like every one of those snaps feels vitally important. And I do feel like sometimes there can be a hangover for that, but uh, should be a very fun Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers noon kickoff against Texans next week. Um, we'll get into that as the pack a day podcast goes along uh, the rest of this week. So make sure to check out all uh, those episodes as we break down that game in full. Uh, hopefully we'll have more fun breaking down that than uh, potentially, you know, this, this Packers lost this last weekend, uh, but any final thoughts before we get out of here, Ben? No, not particularly, you know, the game didn't go great today. It wasn't a lot of fun to watch on TV, but like I was saying, you know, I feel like a lot of the things were correctable. It was a little self-inflicted. Uh, I still trust the team, the coaching staff, and you have to remember, Sometimes you got to give the other team credit. And I think a lot of times on Twitter, things are emotional and impulsive and in the moment. And sometimes you got to take a breath and say, you know what? The other team's got some millionaires too, and they're pretty good at what they do. And it's okay to give them credit sometimes. And, you know, we're going to go back and correct what we control during the week. And that's okay. Um, I just feel like the in the moment kind of reactions to things are a little bit more dramatic and emotional than they need to be. I think the Packers are going to be a competitive team through 2020 and they're, you know, they're going to take a couple lumps to, to some competitive teams. I hope they get those out in October, November, rather than January, February. Uh, but I look forward to them going on the road to a one in five Texans team, a team you should beat, should be on the, should be on the road. 
Uh, and these are the games that you circle and say, these need to be the W's, not the on the roads to Tampa's, but we need to beat the teams we're supposed to beat. And I think this is a really good get right game for next week. Yeah, I always say I'd love to play uh, no limit hold them against some of the you know players who or people who make these gut reactions after big losses because they well, would random top reunion too. Yeah, they'd never be able to uh, handle the swings from one uh, one big hand to a uh, one big loss. But uh, yeah, you never should have that uh, all in or all out approach. It seems like some people feel like the Super Bowl is won and lost on any given play. But I'm I'm more like you. I'm looking for trends. I'm looking for things that are you know are indicative of either great play or poor play throughout a four or five week period. And I think overall, if any Packer fan would have been uh, able to choose a, a four and one start to the season, I think pretty much everyone would have signed up for it. So I think overall, there's a lot to be happy about through the first five weeks of the season. I had one last question before we get out of here. The, the Packers have only lost five games in the Matt LaFleur era. Four of those five losses have been of the 15 plus point variety. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you lose by 30 or if you lose by one. And as you just mentioned, sometimes it's easier to get over the blowouts than it is the emotional losses. But are you surprised that in the losses, it's been so out of control and Green Bay hasn't been able to kind of dig their way back into any of those games? That's a good question, actually. And that was one of my kind of factors in the offseason, just to be able to win games through different identities and to be able to win the shootouts, you know, win the games where you have some first quarter adversity, win the games that maybe you get a little fat and cocky in the first half and you give up a lead and then you got to rally back late. And I don't feel like they won enough games with different identities in 2019. I feel like once it got out of hand, it was like, up or down, we're out, and that's it. Just like the playoff game, just like the other Niners game, just like that Eagles game. I know it was only a seven point loss, but you know, the Eagles really jumped out on them and it never really felt like they were coming back. Yeah, I don't really know why that is. Or, you know, there's so many different scenarios in each of those games and each of those identities. So it's tough to ever just pick one overarching, you know, issue with Matt LaFleur and his ability, you know, to win different style games. But that's a really good point. And I just think each game is going to kind of take on its own narrative and storyline. And I, that was one of my factors going in. I want to see them kind of handle adversity in the games and win different styles. And through the first four weeks we had, they were winning some shootouts that they weren't winning last year and things like that. So it's kind of interesting to look at those five losses, you know, collectively and to say, you know, is there a trend on these teams? Is there something, you know, uh, you know, consistent or thematic to how they're losing these games. And I'm not really sure. I know that out of those five games, I think four of them were on the road, but um, yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting thought there. Yeah, it is. Uh, we'll have to kind of see how that goes. I guess the good news is at least if, if trends continue, uh, Matt LaFleur has yet to lose back-to-back games in his uh, coaching career. So uh, hopefully he can keep that going and Packers can pick up a win in Houston. Ben, before we get out, where can uh, people follow you on Twitter and what are you currently working on? So you can follow me at, at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. It's F-E-N-N-E-L-L. I'll be pumping out a uh, film room recap for the Athletic Wisconsin, probably coming out Wednesday morning this week. Not sure what I'm going to break down yet in this first loss of 2020. The losses are always interesting games to reflect on. Uh, and then, you know, I'm still doing good work over at the Eagles media department, doing a lot of draft stuff all year round. Journey to the Draft podcast is uh, out twice a week. If you're interested in the draft and a 365 entity that it's really become and you want to hear who's uh, on our minds in 2021. And like we were just talking about before we started recording the Alabama Georgia game from last night. Uh, so there's a lot of draft buzz this time of year. So, yeah, a little bit of everything, a lot of football, but life could be worse, right? 
Absolutely. Every day is draft season. <laughs> uh, make sure to check out Ben on Twitter and follow his work at The Athletic. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. If you haven't yet, make sure to check out the YouTube channel. I'm putting out a new about 10 minute episode every single day on video. So make sure to go out there and subscribe. But for Ben Fennel, I'm Andy Herman. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next or we'll see you tomorrow with an all new episode. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you could get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.